Entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Been a great third down defense the last two weeks. The Steelers have got an interception and a run back all the way home. It's Spillane with the touchdown on the pick six. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Mahomes drifting downfield. Intercepted. His first of the season, Jeff Heath. is now in. Coming at you live on a Friday. It is a remote heavy Friday at KSHP as we get set to roll into another jam-packed weekend here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. It is the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live. KSHP, you can find us at 107.1 FM, also 1400 AM and streaming all over the nationwide web at the tcmartinshow.com and kshp.com as well, too. The doctor is not in. He's out today. We figure he's either en route or is already there as the highly anticipated matchup coming up on Sunday between two of the teams that were expected to be the super teams in the WNBA will be squaring off on national television as the Aces take on the New York Liberty in a big-time, prime-time matchup on Sunday. Noon, I believe, Pacific Standard Time is when it's going off. Might be 9 a.m. our time, to be quite honest with you. But uh, big-time matchup, and the doctor, of course, he is the voice of the Las Vegas Aces, will be there in New York for that game. So he, we are filling in for him on a Friday, and uh, always a great joy to be joined by one of my co-hosts, co-hosts here in the in the Las Vegas Valley, longtime sports host with the show Out of Line over on Fox Sports Radio on Sunday mornings, 8 to 9 a.m. Brian Feldman joining me here live at the Westgate. Brian, it's good to see you. You Friday. as well, man. The game isn't nude on Sunday. They're not it making everyone noon. get up at it super early. It's uh, noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. on the East Coast. But uh, the WNBA game of the year to this point, I would yeah. think, Chris, with uh, the Liberty and, uh, you know, as good of players as there is. And then the, the Aces, who I think are a juggernaut to win the uh, WNBA title back-to-back. And T.C. Martin is going to be sporting a second beautiful ring at this point next year, I'm guessing, because I just, as I've said many times, man, I cannot see the Aces getting beaten in any kind of a series. One game, sure, anything can happen. But even in a three-game series, I can't see someone beating them two out of three games, Chris. Solid prediction right out of the gate here, right? Going with the Aces with the uh, repeat back-to-back. I love it, Brian Feldman. But uh, no question about it, right? The storyline at the beginning of the season was... We have a couple super teams in the WNBA, right? The Aces obviously are one of them, especially with the acquisition of uh, Candace Parker here to add to the team that already won the championship a year ago. And, of course, New York was the other team with Brianna Stewart, you know, a perennial MVP over in New York, along with Sabrina Inescu and, and the rest of that quality squad over there. So there's no doubt about it that that was the storyline and that was kind of the narrative going into the season. So it's going to be a highly anticipated matchup coming up on Sunday, so looking forward to that as well. Also, we are looking forward to Brian Feldman, of course, is the NFL season. Well, before, we are, real, real right. quickly, I yes. just thought since we mentioned the Aces, right. 
how do you not mention Diana Tarazzi and what she did last night? I'm not if you're familiar. Uh, another 40 point game. She scored. Ten, she is the first and only woman ever to score 10,000 points. In she's 41 years old now. Scored her 10,000 points and had a 42 point game at 41 years old last to night. To me, gotta gotta give her some. To some props me, Brian today. Feldman, that's the more extraordinary part about it. Yes, no, look, it is extraordinary. 10,000 points, first WNBA player ever to do that. But for a 40-year-old to drop 42 in a WNBA game, that, to me, is uber-impressive, to say the least, that Diana went out to shoot. Look, she hasn't been that scoring juggernaut, you know, this 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 past season or even last season. But uh, th- it goes to show you there are times where she can step up her game and absolutely perform on a you know on a premium level, and that's exactly what took place last night in that in that game where she drops the forty the forty plus spot, you know in a, in a regular season game for the for the Phoenix Mercury. Yeah, you know last year Chris, it's to, credit to her, she was hurt. Remember we saw right. her here in Vegas, mm-hmm. and she was always I think she was nursing a bad ankle for a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. I mean when you're that old, the bumps and bruises are twice as bad. But no doubt about it, hats off to her. Huge applause. It, it is a tremendous accomplishment, and um, they talked about uh, one of the, was, there was some stat last night that she's about to break. Oh, scoring forty points over thirty-five years old in games, and she did it. Uh, it's been done five times by Carl mm-hmm. Malone and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and now Diana Taurasi has done it six times. No one else is ever in a professional career over the age of 35, scored 40 points in a game more than four times, and Diana Tarazzi did it last night, so pretty impressive. You know what's kind of hilarious, Brian, taking a look at that box score? So Tarazzi goes, you know, 12 for 21, 6 to 13 from 3, drops the 42. Nobody else on the Phoenix Mercury roster had double digits in the game. The other high scores all had eight points. Uh, Gustafson, as well as uh, Jefferson, Mariah Jefferson and uh, and Onawali also had eight points as well too. So like it was it was the Diana Taurasi show without question, and then everybody else is kind of along for the ride in that victory over the Atlanta Dream last night. You have to give her the moniker of the goat. When you talk about women's professional yeah. basketball, Diana Tarazzi is the goat. She has done it for so long, Chris. When you think how long she's been in the league mm-hmm. and been around women's basketball and been a part of it, a part of one of the most storied college women's programs right. in history. I mean, I don't think anyone argues that UConn or Duke, uh, excuse me, UConn, Tennessee, are probably the two most storied programs. Played for the most storied coach in Gino Yuriyama and Look what she has done as a professional, both abroad and in the United States, as good as it gets. And again, um, you got to give her all kinds of props. So I'm pumped that you brought that up, Brian, because look, this is a Phoenix Mercury team, right? That had a 20. This shows you the fluctuation of kind of like the other teams in the WNBA. The Phoenix Mercury won that game by 20 points last night, 91-71 over the Atlanta Dream. Atlanta's over 500. Phoenix got to their seventh win of the season with that 20-point win. They're now seven. And 19. My point being is that you know there's a lot of uh, question marks as far when you when you have every other team in the WNBA play, whether it's against each other, you know, in certain situations, and then there's the Las Vegas Aces when they step on a court against another team in the WNBA. To me, the Aces are clear far and away the the cream of the crop in the league, and it's kind of like it'll be. And look, you you made your prediction, and I I would happen to agree with your prediction prediction, but at this point. It's a matter of if the Aces do not win a championship, it's going to be a monstrous disappointment, right? We're going to be talking about this like, oh, my gosh, 
this was a collapse if you don't end up capturing your second WNBA title and your and going back to back. Yeah, if you're Las Vegas. No, no question, Chris. I mean, there's three teams that, that realistically, in my opinion, have any shot at winning the WNBA title. Aces, clear in a way, the best of those teams. I would take into the team they're playing tomorrow, or I should say Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. into account as the second-best team, the Liberty. They've got the second-best record, 20-6. and six. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. And then, of course, uh, the Connecticut Sun, uh, last year's uh, the Eastern Conference, defending Eastern Conference champion. They're 19-7, and seven, a game back of the Liberty in the Eastern Conference. But th- those three teams really stand out above the rest. The Dallas Wings, granted, they've had, they had success. They did beat the Vegas... Uh, Golden, uh, they did beat the Las Vegas Aces in, in one of their three meetings, but I, I don't think the Wings have a shot against the Aces in a three-game series or a five-game series. Uh, to me, I think it comes down to the Aces and the Liberty, and I think, Chris, that could actually be a good series where the Liberty could maybe defend their home court, and that could go the distance, but again, in an overall series with the Aces having home court advantage throughout the postseason, and home court means a great deal because the Aces, unlike a lot of other teams, in the WNBA fill their arena, and yeah. you know, miss two get a slice. I mean, you know, the Aces are uh, the Aces they are. They got legends. They got legends all over the place, they, man. They, they Not def- just on the court, Brian Feldman. <laughs> when it comes to ace, the Aces' experience there at Michelob Ultra Arena, uh, it, but yeah. I digress. No, yes. <laughs> it is. It, 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 it's impressive, and you know, that's one thing. You know, I talked about it yesterday. You know, I was on uh, on pushing the limits with Brian Shapiro right. yesterday out mm-hmm. at Mendehall Center, yeah. USA practicing. Awesome. I, I would I would say that I got to interview Grant Hill, but I got to sit next to Grant Hill for 20 minutes while Brian interviewed him. I didn't get a chance, but I'm teasing Brian Shapiro yeah, right now. Exactly. But but anyways, realistically, um, you know, we talked about this yesterday and, uh, you know, about how good this Aces team was and going forward how it's almost impossible to see anybody beating them without Per se, an Asia Wilson or maybe right. a Jackie Young or maybe a you know um, a Kelsey Plum or, or Gray going down or even Chelsea Gray, right? right. Chelsea yeah. Gray. One of those four goes down that could potentially change the dynamic of this team. But they're showing Candace Parker was just kind of giving her a shot to win a ring yeah. by bringing her aboard. They're playing without her, and Kia Stokes has done a decent job in her place, and they've gotten a few other people that have stepped up as well, picked up a few on contracts. This Aces team is going to be ridiculously hard to beat, and it's just that simple. And uh, and I'm looking forward. To, I'm looking forward to watching them run through it again. But again, what we did talk about is Mark Davis and his love for this team. You know, he, he is very clear when he says, the Las Vegas Raiders are Team 1A for me, and the Las Vegas Aces are Team 1B. There is no 1 and 2. And he, you know, I, I can't say he is going to be able to or carry the torch that Kobe Bryant left when he departed this planet and left a gigantic hole in the WNBA because there's never been a bigger spokesman or an advocate that has the kind of presence Kobe Bryant does. And yet... Mark Davis has almost kind of, in a smaller way, picked up that reign because being an NFL owner with that kind of exposure and putting so much into the Aces, the nicest practice facility of any team ever in the WNBA here in Henderson, Nevada, that Mark Davis built for them. I mean, it's probably better than most NBA practice facilities. And then, of course, when you look at their rings, Chris, I have seen a number of championship rings of so as you. Yes. I don't know that the Aces pale in comparison to any ring ever made. 
made. So here it's a WNBA championship ring, and it looks about as nice as a Super Bowl ring. That's pretty impressive, and that is compliments of Mark Davis because the owner is the one that dictates how much money is spent on those rings and the way that they look. And he fabricate, had some tremendous rings fabricated, Chris. And again, to me, that is stepping up in the WNBA. I just hope that this doesn't warrant expansion too quickly. I think right now the WNBA is finally looking at a profitable season by one of their franchises, the Las Vegas Aces, being actually profitable this year. If they go ahead and expand because of that, it would be a catastrophic mistake, in my opinion, because, again, the WNBA in their history, like it or not, people, has been unprofitable. They have lost money every year. They have been existence for all you people crying that they should make more money. When you're league, I want to know again, and I've said this several times, when have you worked for a company that's lost money every year that they've been in existence and their employees are screaming, we need a raise? No, you don't need a raise. We're going out of business. The WNBA has not. They have remained. So, so the bottom line is, again, Chris, is, you know, the Aces, because of Mark Davis, what the Aces have done and continue to do right now, they are really, it is paying tremendous dividends for the WNBA, in my opinion, as a whole. To your point about Mark Davis, and uh, to a certain extent also, you can say this about Joe Tsai in New York with the Liberty as the owner of the New York Liberty, it's about raising the standard, right? It's about raising the bar. With, with respect to how the players are handled, right, how, how the organization is run, how things work in the WNBA. It's just kind of a, it, it feels like it's completely different here in Las Vegas and even in New York, too, as well, and probably a couple of other franchises around the WNBA also. But, yes, uh, when it comes to the, you know, and this, this is a debate we can get into for a couple of hours when you're talking about, uh, you know, equal pay for WNBA players or raising their salaries. I mean, there's a number of reasons the, why. The that's not sock. something that's necessarily viable right now. But that being said, you're right. When it comes to Mark Davis, it is about raising a standard. The Women's Professional Soccer League, prior to the Women's World Cup, Mm -hmm. just paid Dennis Rodman's daughter $1.3 million over three years, the biggest contract ever signed by the Women's Professional Soccer League. Mm -hmm. Look at how popular women's soccer is right now as everyone is dialed into the Women's World Cup as they're the favorite to, you know, to, win, to win FIFA for the women and win the World Cup. And yet the highest paid women's player ever is not even close to the highest paid women's basketball player ever. And yet I would argue that women's soccer is more popular than women's basketball. At this time of year, when the World Cup comes around, it becomes maybe the most popular women's sport around. And yet again, you know, th- those athletes aren't paid at all. So, yeah. Sticking on the hard court, uh, you, you brought it up. Let's touch on it. USA Basketball is here in town. They're set for a tilt against Puerto Rico on Monday at T-Mobile Arena. You mentioned kind of the transition, right, from the coaching staff to obviously the roster because it's going a little bit younger with the roster. But the coaching staff, I mean, you're talking about Steve Kerr, you know, one of the best coaches in the NBA right now. You're talking about Eric Spolstra, a guy that, uh, you know, has ab- absolutely accomplished as an NBA coach. You're talking about Mark Few, one of the best college coaches of all time, quite frankly, out of Gonzaga. And then, of course, you've got uh, Teron Lu as well, too, a guy that's also won an NBA championship. So uh, NBA uh, USA basketball is in good hands from a coaching standpoint. You talked about yourself and Brian talking to Grant Hill yesterday at the at uh, at Mendenhall Center. You talked and and you guys gave had an observation regarding this team, right? You, there's it is a transition as far as the talent. It seems to me they're going to the younger generation, I guess, is the way I'll put it. 
with uh, the roster, but the expectations when it comes to USA Basketball, right, Brian? It's through the roof. I mean, it, with USA Basketball, with USA Basketball being the gold standard for so many years, even in years where they get beat, they're still the team that's expected to win. It's very much the same, and it doesn't matter if it's Coach K at the helm. It doesn't matter if it's Greg Popovich at the helm. It doesn't matter if it was Chuck Daly at the helm. That is what is expected, right, when it comes to USA Basketball. The expectation is excellence, and they're going to try to put that on display on Monday night against Puerto Rico. Well, of course, ever since the transition from only allow being able to use collegiate players to using professional players with the original Dream Team, the expectations of United States basketball was already high. Chris, they were winning gold medals when they were college players. Mm -hmm. So as soon as it became all NBA players, it's, it's ridiculous. And even though there are NBA players sprinkled throughout the competition through FIBA competition, you know, Luka Doncic, I mean, how tall is that Serbia team going to be just by one player alone? So, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got players spink- sprinkled around, but cumulatively, the USA has the best teams. And, and even though they are much younger players, a lot of the older guys are saving themselves now. There's so much money to be made in the NBA at this point in time that you don't want to hurt yourself. And maybe there's not as much pride against the older players. But the younger players, are you kidding me? There are some great players. You know, Brandon Ingram first comes to mind. That is a star in the NBA for the Pelicans that will be playing for this team. Josh Hart, another guy who is, who is a pretty a pretty big star in this team. Surprising with like a guy like Austin Reeves right. getting an opportunity, which I think is really cool. A guy for the ways. And how about a guy like Bobby Portis? He's a guy that when I talk about Bobby Portis for the Milwaukee Bucks, this is a blue-collar player. You saw him a couple years ago being an integral part of the Bucks' first ever NBA mm-hmm. title. And Bobby Portis is just a guy that gets dirty and gets things done. And, you know, you want to, laughing, saying, well, one of the almost one of the senior statesmen of this team at like 26 years old. But, Chris, what you said, to your point, as far as the tutelage of this USA basketball team, how can you not respect? I don't care if you're a 26-year-old all-star in the NBA, you're going to respect Steve Kerr. You're going to respect Eric Spolstra. Yeah. You're going to expect Tyron Lue. And, you know, in the mix with the greatest collegiate coaches ever, right there is Mark Few. I mean, there's, I don't know if they'll even wait for him to retire before Gonzaga constructs a statue to him. You know they're going to eventually name the basketball arena at Gonzaga after him. And the question Brian brought it up yesterday, Brian Shapiro did, is whether or not Mark Few will ever coach in the NBA like or take the same road as maybe Coach K and never delve. I don't know that you do. And people think that Mark Few will eventually go to the NBA. Why I don't think he might is you got to look at guys like Rick Pitino, John Calipari, guys, the only successful guy that's ever made the jump, we're familiar with him really well, is Larry, Larry Brown, Brown. Yep. who's won at both the collegiate and the professional level. It's a really tough, you know, guys like Brad Stevens, we just saw the pains and aches mm-hmm. and pains he had. You know, you look at a guy like Jay Wright, who's not coaching right now at the collegiate level, think, hmm, is he going to end up coaching in the NBA? He'd be a guy that I think could make the transition and get the respect of professional players, what he's done at the collegiate level. But again, Chris, I don't know if Mark Few ever makes that jump. He is a legend. In, in Northern California, there's nobody 
bigger than Mark Few. I mean, that guy, like I said, he could run for governor of the state of California and probably get elected right now. Uh, yeah, no question. Well, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Well, Pacific Northwest. Pacific, Pacific Northwest, Northwest. That's, yeah. yes. But the, here's the thing. This is what fascinates me about this kind of topic, and I, and I want to bring this up. You talk about respect, right, among the the players on the team. These are, the these are uh, you know, it's a team that's form. It's not necessarily all the you know twelve best players from the United States of America. It's a team, but it is a team of accomplished players, right? Oh. Guys who have you know who are playing in the NBA. Most of them, I and mean, making an impact. Most of them are yeah, right. I mean, so Benchero should be. A so you good bring idea. up Mark Few, right? Mark Few never coached in the NBA, right? And I always flash back to Coach K, right? Coach K garnered a tremendous amount of respect from the likes of LeBron James and from Kobe Bryant and and NBA players. He never coached in the NBA, yeah, right? But it's Coach K. The guy dominated in college. He's, you know, revered not just as a great uh, he's just revered as a great basketball coach. So many not, NBA not, players. It doesn't matter that he didn't that he didn't coach in the NBA. So I mean I mean, when guys like Kobe Bryant, LeBron James are like, oh, we're, we're, you know, we are on board the Coach K train, and we're gonna, you know, he, we, we have the ultimate respect for this guy. Then everybody else is gonna fall in line. That's on the team. You want so, a great laugh, real quick? Yeah. So, so yesterday talking to Brant Hill about Coach K. Mm-hmm. So Brian was talking to him and asked him a question. I'd love to say I asked him a question, but I didn't get to ask him any questions. I'm, I'm messing around. Hey, um, but yesterday, Brian, hey, Brian had the mic on lockdown. Hey, you know what? How often do you get to interview a guy like Grant Hill? But yeah. One of the things Grant Hill said about Coach K, which really shocked me, he said Coach K never ran a play. He goes, Coach K wasn't an X and O. He said he was not an X and O's guy. He didn't. Coach K did not draw up basketball yeah. plays. Literally out of Grant Hill's mouth, he did not draw up basketball plays. What Coach K was good at was the meshing of the players, mm-hmm. getting them to buy in to his 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 belief right. in them, to belief that uh, in the belief in Duke University, and to be able to attend and see the court at Duke University, you are already have a foot in the door of the NBA just by starting here. Those were the philosophies Coach K put out to his players, mm-hmm. and hey, they worked through an entire illustrious career. But how crazy is that that Coach K was not an X's and O's guy and didn't draw up? Actual basketball plays for his team that blew my mind. What was he doing with the chalkboard? Doing poetry? I mean, I'm I'm blown away by that. But then again, when I think about it, did Coach K ever carry a chalkboard? I saw Izzo carrying one all the time. But did Coach K? I'm gonna have to go back and look at some highlights, Chris. Speaking of college coaches that were floating around, right? I believe uh, Jay Wright was also rolling around right. down there. He was and, supposed and, to be on the show. And by the way. Mr. Feldman, taking a look at the roster. It is you want to talk about a heavy Villanova influence. There's a Villanova Wildcats all over the place on this roster. By the way, saw on social media a few days ago. Uh, apparently, uh, Jalen Brunson got married. I believe it was last week or a week and a half ago, a couple weeks ago, and uh, it, it was a pretty cool picture on social media with J- with Jalen and all of his former Villanova and maybe some current Villanova Wildcats. Uh, they're in the picture with Coach Jay Wright. So. You want to talk about a backcourt with Jay, Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart eventually for that New York Knicks yeah. team? That's why the Knicks are one of the upcoming teams in the NBA, and both these guys are going to be showcased on Monday night at T-Mobile Arena playing against Puerto Rico. This is going to be a good, exciting game, Chris. And, you know, yeah. we saw 
how sports and 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 and, and really we could talk about this for an entire show, but yeah. how sports are now really influencing this city and how much has changed. We saw this year in the NBA summer league. Granted, you had the, the they say the number one player coming into the draft this year, the best since LeBron James. So that definitely created a great deal of interest to come out and see the Milwaukee or uh, the San Antonio Spurs future yeah. star. But in the same respect, you had sold out Thomas and Mack for some of these summer league games. We haven't seen the Thomas and Mack sold out since Jerry Tarkanian yeah. was biting a towel on the floor at, at the Thomas and Mack Center. But that, to me, doesn't just show that, hey, everyone was interested in seeing this new potential NBA phenom, but everyone is showing up because of the bug in sports. I have a feeling we're going to see a good turnout for this USA game to, on Monday night. I and think. of course, along with guys the likes of Jalen Brunson, you got some young talent that is just going to be fascinating to watch when it comes to Paulo Benchero. Obviously, Anthony Edwards is a big-time oh. player with the Minnesota Timberwolves now. You've got uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., solid player also with the, with the Memphis Grizzlies also on this team. So, there, there, it, it, to me, there's a nice mix. The guys that have been in the league for, for a little bit. You mentioned Bobby Portis, of course, and, and uh, as, as well as uh, uh, Austin, Austin, Re- Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves, well Austin Reeves up-and-coming player. Look, I'm not going to sit here and act like Austin Reeves is, is a perennial NBA All-Star. There is a reason. But he's a quality player. There yeah, is a he reason is, yeah. he is on this team, Chris. Mm-hmm. No doubt. He is a hustler. Yeah. And Austin Reeves exemplifies something Bobby Portis does as mm-hmm. well, and that is heart. Yeah. You can't coach that. That's either in you or it's not. And this, to me, is going to pay tremendous dividends for the Lakers because how about the confidence Austin Reeves is going to gain from get, be, getting on this Olympic yeah. team? So they match up on Monday against Puerto Rico. A little bit of a kick in the backside motivation for Team USA. I know it was, it was, it was over a decade ago, but Puerto Rico knocked off Team USA. Yes, I believe that was the – was that the Carlos Arroyo Puerto Rico team back then? Back when Carlos Arroyo was, wow. was playing in both Orlando and, and our Detroit Pistons, I believe. I think you're I right. I think Arroyo yeah. was on that team. Anyway, they had a couple of NBA players on that squad that knocked off Team USA. They do have now a, a couple of players that are NBA players playing for this team, Team Puerto Rico, that will be on display on Monday night. So we'll get a chance, if you're in Vegas, get a, head on out to T-Mobile Arena and check out that matchup as Team USA takes on Puerto Rico with some late summer. Is it really late summer, though, really? I mean, we're talking about August, but uh, some summertime hoops action from T-Mobile Arena here in Vegas as that's going down. Of course, uh, we are here in Las Vegas at the Superbook here at the Westgate, one of the premier Superbooks in town, folks. I mean, you would talk about an atmosphere. We're talking about uh, we have, we have uh, VIP kind of suites going on in front of the, the center bar here in the clubhouse area. you got a poker tournament going on right here, so there's a lot of action right going on. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a frenzy trying to get in here, Brian Feldman, to, uh, to do the show. As, uh, this is one of the Friday night in Vegas. Fr- Friday night in Vegas, and it's starting to get, get riled up. And the, West and, uh, and, and the Westgate is a reasonably priced casino. I mean, mm-hmm. they have games, and I mean, that's uh, why you'll see a place like this get packed. It's off the strip and even on a Friday night you'll find some reasonable table games that people come to play so yeah and we got uh, some tennis action going on we got yeah. some live golf as well obviously coverage of uh, training camps the event about training camps has started up and major league baseball action which we'll get into later on in the show because of uh, the trade deadline some major deals went down there's some teams that have absolutely 
bolstered their chances as we roll down the stretch of the Major League Baseball season. And we'll take our first break here on the T.C. Martin Show. Chris Wynn, Brian Feldman in for T.C. Martin, the doctor on your Friday. It is 1400 a.m., 107.1 FM, and find us streaming all over the nationwide web at the tcmartinshow.com as well as kshb.com. On the other side of the break, we've got some news regarding an incident that took place in Las Vegas. It's news, big news in New Orleans as well as Indianapolis. We'll get to that and much more NFL stuff on the way after our first break here on the T.C. Martin Show. Now, more from your favorite sports radio physician. Wow, that's the best news I heard in a dog's age. The Dr. T.C. Martin. Storming towards the weekend, it is the T.C. Martin Show coming away live, KSHP AM 1400, 107.1 FM, and also on streaming live at tcmartinshow.com as well as kshb.com. T.C. Martin is on the East Coast getting set for a big-time matchup. Aces, New York Liberty on Sunday. Nationally televised game, and you can hear it here locally, folks, on ESPN Radio as the voice of the Aces. T.C. Martin will have the call. One, two, and three for Kelsey Plum from downtown. I'm Chris Wynn along with Brian Feldman here jumping in on a Friday live from the Superbook at the Westgate. One of the premier sports books in the country. I'll say it. Yeah, in the country. One of the best sports books in the country. It is a Friday. Action all over the place. I believe we do have one final in Major League Baseball. I think we had an earlier game an eight nothing blowout. I think it was uh, that went down. But we got a lot of action on the screens right now. You got live golf going on. You got uh, some tennis, as uh, well as uh, some MLB Network action as well too. So, and we just got done talking about uh, two things going on that are big time here in Las Vegas. That is the Aces, of course, and USA Basketball in town, set for a tilt against Puerto Rico on Monday. But. As the sports world goes in the United States, Brian Feldman, so goes the NFL, right? It's big time. Of course. Of course, last night was an opportunity for all of us to get to see the likes of the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns on the football field in the Hall of Fame game. Yes, Brian, they put on the jerseys. Yes, they have a game. It's, you know, they have referees. It's It has all the pageantry that is NFL football, but it is preseason, okay? So... You did not get a chance to see the debut of Aaron Rodgers with Gang Green and the New York Jets. You did not get a chance to see Deshaun Watson for the Cleveland Browns. And a lot of key players didn't play. But i got to get your thoughts, your ideas, when it comes to preseason football. Because I have mine. And I think it's a very valid reason why the NFL decided to go to three, three preseason games as opposed to four. I think, you know, obviously... It's not regular season football, and it's nowhere anything close to playoff NFL action. But I do think there is a necessity when it comes to preseason. It's getting guys reps. It's getting, you know, a little continuity in a game-time experience with your teammates in the NFL. There is a solid purpose for it. But there, there is a clear distinction, right? When you turn on the TV last night, I happen to be out at, uh, at one of my favorite watering holes, checking out this tilt between the Browns and the Jets. 
It's just something different about preseason and that there just isn't that urgency, I guess, is the word I'll use. And But still, for hardcore football fans, it's kind of cool to see the guys out there in uniform and actually getting a chance to perform together. You know, I got a text yesterday from one of my buddies when I'm club finishing up work because obviously he's a, he is a central time in Austin, Texas. I'm here so two hours later than it is here, and the game had already started. And he says, just all caps in the text, I football is on my television set. Exactly. That is what it means, Chris. I mean, it is football. It's the, the Hall of Fame game marks the beginning of a new NFL season. I think it's vitally important. I think the preseason, as much as it is scary and you don't want to lose anybody, the NFL is such a collision sport. I don't want to use the word violent, even though many people do. I'll say it's a collision sport. And because it's such a collision sport that people get hurt. And you don't want to lose somebody in preseason. But unfortunately and fortunately, preseason is a must. It is a requirement, is a necessity, because you have to, number one, number first more, whittle a team down from 90 players to 53. Mm-hmm. That is number one. Number two is it is a way to assess talent. You can see the hunger. You know, what, what I really like when you see preseason, you see those first and second round draft picks and how hungry they are. And then you see the ones that are just kind of trying to avoid getting hurt because they know they're getting paid. And you see the heart and players. And these are things that we might not assess as the general public, but the coaching staff definitely assesses these things. And they see them. And preseason is one of those things when they say the term necessary evil, that is preseason NFL football. And let me be very clear, right? The overall record at the end of the day doesn't mean a thing. And we and I, Brian Feldman, know all about this because you and I are Detroit Lions fans. And let me have a recollection. I believe I remember a Detroit Lions team going 4-0 and in the preseason and then just being absolutely atrocious in the regular season. So when it comes to the overall record, it's not necessarily a major indicator of anything. But all of those aspects you just talked about are the most important thing when it comes to preseason Football, But you know what else preseason football is good for, too? It's good for having time to talk about things like off-the-field stuff, like contracts. Right, Brian? Of course, a lot of discussion this, this preseason and this, tra- these, this, this training camp season is quarterbacks getting big money and running backs not necessarily getting big money or some getting big money and some not and some still kind of out there in the wind. That's the case here in Las Vegas, obviously, right, with Josh Jacobs. And we'll talk to Mike Dixon from Vegas Sports today. He's going to join us in the second hour. He's been covering training camp with the Raiders. We'll talk more Raiders along those lines. But sticking more with, like, the NFL as a whole, uh, it is a a situation where once teams get into training camp, right, and you start playing preseason games, that kind of is where the rubber meets the road with a lot of these contract situations because you have the holdouts, right? You have the guys who are trying to use their leverage, you know, and, and to try to get a better deal or to try to get a deal, period, right? So it, a lot of it when it comes to training camp and preseason is about stuff off the field with respect to 
finances with teams, and that that's a big deal. Oh, there's yeah. no question, Chris. There's guys that are not in camp right now that will eventually be in camp. Guys like Zach Martin right. of the Cowboys. There's mm-hmm. no way in hell Jerry Jones isn't signing yeah. the best interior lineman in yeah. the NFL. He'll get paid. You know, he's he's a, th- th- most people all say he's the, one of the top. He's paid. He's the eighth highest paid interior lineman. That's ridiculous for a guy like Zach Martin. But one thing I have learned in this post see, in this in this preseason, Chris, and I don't that's saying that I just learned it isn't isn't actually accurate. Mm-hmm. Something we all know, but it's not discussed enough. It is the in how invaluable teams consider NFL running backs. And, and we've talked about this before, that the average NFL running back, now again, it's a bit of a skewed number because there are usually four running backs on every team, three or four, and there's only one kicker, but the average kicker makes more than the average NFL running back. And I'm sure Justin Tucker in Baltimore has a little bit of a problem with that since he's paying like $6 million a year to kick a football, so that skews it. But again... You look at the running backs out there right now, unsigned, a la Josh Jacobs, the best statistically statistical running back in the league last year, a guy that played played injured almost every season. You look at Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis wanting a trade now, still on the pup list right now, wanting a trade. They're not paying him. You're looking at Delvin Cook now. Granted, he is still not 100% right. healthy, but yet teams are playing around with him. Now, he might be a guy that's going to sit and wait until maybe a team needs a running back or loses one. He has that luck. Luxury. But again, these are some of the top names in the NFL, and they're unsigned right now, and, may, and very possibly all three of them may not start the NFL season. That hurts the league as a whole, and, and part of that is Saquon Barkley's fault right. for signing such a cheap one-year deal in New York. But in the same respect, running backs, Chris, a great running back, gives you maybe three great seasons and maybe a couple of more serviceable ones. That's the life shelf, the shelf life of an NFL running back. So again, when these guys aren't getting paid, you can't get that upset because we see it in fantasy football and there's a million fantasy football players. You see one year, all of a sudden, you know, it is... the. Um, Todd Gurley is the top pick in everyone's draft. Three years later, he's out of the NFL. Right. I mean, that's the way that it works for most of the time. You don't see the top guys in fantasy drafts never stay there for longer than two years unless they're a quarterback. Gone are the days where Brian Feldman, Nick Nice, Chris Wynn, when we were youngsters, right? And you had the number one bell cow running back, right? Gone are the days of the Eric Dickersons. Gone are the days the Barry Sanders. of the OJ OJ of the OJ Andersons. Gone are the days of the Walter Paytons. Gone are the days of the of 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 of, of you said Barry Sanders, Billy Sims, right? Guys who were number one running backs. Horses. And and look, it, it, it kind of started going that way back when I'm sure when Nick was growing up because you, I'm sure you were a Roger Craig fan. Roger Craig I wouldn't know. I don't know. Would you consider him like a number one, you know, four down, three down he was running almost, back? He I mean, was no. almost a slot receiver so, that played running back with Roger, but a tremendous running yeah, back. Yeah, but it's different, right, Nick, now yeah. than it was then. You guys can hear me, right? I can hear you, but I don't know if the microphone is the microphone on? I don't know. I can't. Okay. Well, it's not on. I can't hear you. Either. Yeah, we can't. We can't hear you. All right. But so Nick Nice going to jump well, on it because Nick. You know, lifelong Niners fan, and I talked about that. Look, this is not a situation like it was back in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and beyond, and in you know, early two thousands. You do not. There are teams that win Super Bowls, guys, without that, a running with a back. Running, with James White at running without back for the Patriots. Uh, you know, look, last year, last year, the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, Edwards Alaire, quality running back. 
you don't look at him like you don't look at him like Jacko now wasn't even. But you don't look at him like a Jonathan Taylor, right? Or or you know, or even a Josh Jacobs. You don't look at him like that at all. No. So like you you nailed it in that there is a devaluation of the running back position in the NFL that has taken place, and it is stark. You notice it. It is absolutely in your face out there. So that puts these guys like Jacobs and Barkley before he signed his deal and others, you know, in a tough position. And so make no mistake about it. It is absolutely, and you talked about the shelf life, right? Think, think about all the other sk- skill positions, right? Skill positions in the NFL, wide receiver, quarterback, right? Tight end even. Yeah. Running back is by far the shortest, the shortest career span of all of those. You pointed out, running backs, what, three, four years? Yeah. That's what you expect to get out of a guy. If a guy plays for 10 years like Barry Sanders did, right, or more than 10 years like an Emmett Smith or a Frank Gore, it is an, it's an aberration. It is, it is an outlier. It's not normal, you know? So that's Where another used to thing be that, the norm, like yeah, you said, The organizations know that. Yeah. The organizations yeah. know that. So, uh, And you brought up Dalvin Cook as well, because Dalvin Cook's kind of an interesting thing to me because he – I think is an absolutely productive back that can no play doubt. three downs. And look, well, look, in, in reality, it looks like the Jets and the Dolphins are the two teams that are probably going to get his services, right? But the question is, how much are the services going to be worth? You know, how, what is he going to get? And that's been the discussion to the last, you know, three, four weeks when it comes to these run, the running back situations all over the league. So and nobody panics I mean, like even here in Las Vegas, Josh Jacobs is a workhorse. Yeah. This is a guy that puts it on the line every week, plays hurt all the time, and they're like, "Hey, you know, Zaire White's going to have to step up this year." You know, I think he's got a chance to be a good running back in the National Football League. But you know, you're going to put him on the page the same level right now with a Josh Jacobs? I mean, come on, that's a huge drop off. When you're bringing in a new quarterback to start your regime, you ask Jimmy Garoppolo, "Are you okay if Zaire White's going to be your?" starter instead of Josh Jacobs. See what he has to say about it. Yeah. You know, but again, look at, you know, Dallas Cowboys, a good example. We talked about Zach Martin. Last year, when Ezekiel Elliott was basically getting the boot, we knew Pollard was going to become the Dallas Cowboys back. And Ezekiel Elliott was on his way out, which we now see. Was was Dak Prescott saying, pay pay the man? These yeah. guys are friends. They came into the league at the same time. Mm-hmm. And yet this year when Zach Martin, the first thing Dak, Dak Prescott stands up, pay him. But he wasn't saying pay him for, for, for Ezekiel Elliott, was he? It's amazing how valuable the, the quarterback saying, well, Ezekiel Elliott's not going to prolong my career. But Zach Martin might. That's the mindset of uh, you know of, of people when they think about running backs. Well, here's you, the thing, though. Would you rather have Chris uh, all pro stud offensive tackle or the best running back in the league? Oh, without question, it's all pro offensive tackle because that's a Blind guy that side anchors offense. that anchors your front, your anchors your big uglies there up front, go. and there that could be a monstrous impact when it comes to having success in the NFL playoffs. But getting back to you know the running back situation, get, getting back no, getting back to to the Dallas Cowboys, right? Used to be America's team. I don't think they're America's team anymore, but whatever. D- Jerry Jones, his mindset is kind of uh, wild to me because this is a team, yes, they have won a couple of playoff games in the last 20 years or so, but they haven't really been a threat to, to win the Super Bowl since 1995 when they won the Super Bowl, right? Then when they went, when they went back-to-back and, what, three out of three out of four seasons. 94, I think, was the last so, one, but yeah. So it, it's so intriguing to me because... He 
if you listen to Jerry Jones every single year, he talks about him like this is a team that should be considered one of the top three or four teams in football to win a Super Bowl. And then people start to break it down, right, and take a harder look at the Cowboys, and they say, uh, no, yeah, you guys can be on the outskirts a little bit. Maybe you can be like the fifth or sixth team most of the time. And but it's never a situation. It hasn't been a situation that I can remember. Maybe you can refresh my memory in in the last decade plus where you've you've started an NFL season and said, "Oh yeah, Dallas Cowboys are one of the two or three teams in the NFL that we're looking at to win a Super Bowl that we expect to win it." It just isn't that. It, it just isn't the case. But they build the hype up down there so much. And look, it's Texas. It's Dallas. It's football. We get it. You know, it it, it matters. It's a religion down there. I understand all that, but it is it is always just fascinating to me to see how things are handled down there in Dallas with Jerry Jones and how much hype is, I guess, the great, is the best word, that, that comes about almost every training camp and every preseason when it comes to all things Dallas Cowboys entering an NFL season. Well, you know, Chris, I, I honestly do get it for a couple of reasons. Yeah. For the monetary reason. Mm -hmm. The last time I checked, and I will check again today, the number one selling logo in the world is Manchester United. Yeah. Number two is, uh, the, um, uh, is the New York Yankees. Yes. Number three? Dallas, Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys. Yep. They are still America's team, Chris, and, yeah. and we might not want to say it. And the reason there's always <laughs> hype about it, and the reason there is so much, and the reason it sells their 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 logo sells more than any other logo, including the New England Patriots in the National Football League, is for one reason. It is because of the fact that there are Dallas Cowboy fans, more Dallas Cowboy fans in America and throughout and abroad than any other team in the world. And you would think that would have changed maybe with the run that Tom Brady had with the Patriots, but it hasn't. The Dallas Cowboys logo still sells tremendously well. I can't get away from Chris. I don't think you can ever have a football conversation in, say, someplace like here, the Superbook at the Westgate. If we walked around right now and you and I were talking football at the Westgate, right. we would run into a couple of Dallas Cowboys. Cowboy fans. They are just everywhere. <laughs> they are. They're and that everywhere. is the reason yeah. that the hype is there every year. And as a matter of fact, this year right now, what the what the, what the, if you look, the number one favorite team to win the NFC is the, the San Francisco 49ers, which is weird. Number two is the Philadelphia Eagles. And number three is the Dallas Cowboys. Right. And the scariest thing of all is, you know who number four is? That would be the team from the Motor City, my man, friend. Oh the man. Detroit Lions. God almighty, my Last hometown. time they won a playoff game was 1991. You and I remember that well. It was, it was against those Dallas Cowboys. It sure was. In which they pretty much lambasted them. They did. At the Pontiac Silverdome. They which, went isn't even, which isn't even there anymore. Before the they got lambasted by the, yeah. the, 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 at the time, the Washington yes. Redskins, I can say exactly. it, because I'm talking past tense, yes, you are. At, at RFK Stadium, got destroyed in that game. And in game. fairness, the Redskins were the best team in football that year. And they, they were, and that ball. doesn't figure. That's right. when the Lions have their run. There's a juggernaut that they've got to go up against in their same conference, <laughs> so they can't even make that jump to the bowl. But the point is, Chris, yes. is Dallas, once again, is one of the teams that is more or less favored to be in the hunt for the Super Bowl. And just like yourself, I am absolutely blown away by that. Dak Prescott, I, I don't want to say he's the most overrated quarterback in the National Football League because he's not overrated. People, yeah. I don't think, think he's that great. But yeah. he's just not. 
Statistically, the man throws almost as many interceptions as he does touchdowns. He he gets himself into pickles constantly. He makes wrong decisions. You know, I'm not going to say that he's a terrible quarterback, but I'll tell you right now, if you told me I can have Dak Prescott or Tony Romo in their prime, pick which one, mm. who are you taking? I would take Dak Prescott. Would you really? I would, yes. I don't know. Two. I don't know about that. I mean, look, Tony, Tony Romo, say what you want about Look, the guy was gifted athletically. There's no doubt about season. it. But what did he do? He what did he do? But what is Dak season? Prescott how many, done? How many Super Bowl rings does Tony Romo have? Zero. Exactly. How many has Dak Prescott done? Well, yeah, now he hasn't Dak played Prescott's half. in the midst of his career, though. I, Tony Romo's it, done. No, I right, agree. So, I agree. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you know. Uh, I mean, you put me on the spot. I, I, I Tony, I mean, Tony I mean, Romo's From a talent small, standpoint, definitely Dak Prescott. I mean, look, I agree with you. I think people are overstepping their bounds when they say he's overrated. I think he's rated. Okay, he's not overrated yeah. and he's not underrated. I think he's rated right about where he but is. But is he a Super Bowl? Is, is he a Super Bowl quarterback? He can be. He can be with the a right Super Bowl team. Quarterback, with the yes. right team. With the yes. right team. I'm not that saying was, he's Trent Dilfer. Okay, where he was on a Super Bowl team with, that he was or Brad by Johnson defense, or Brad Johnson no, or I, someone I, like I understand. Or Mark Rippin. You know, yeah. I'm, but but uh, Mark Rippin was pretty good. Yeah, but you but, know what I'm saying though. I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make the point that you know Dak Prescott. I think he is. People have expectations of him right where I think he is. I'm not talking about expectations for the Cowboys because it's overblown all the time. I'm talking about what they expect. Well, he finally out of him won. A, he finally won a playoff game for right the there. Cowboys. But, yeah. but, but, like I said, when you say you know he's definitely more, more you know athletic. I'm not sure. Tony Romo's a hell of a golfer. Like, like Tony Romo's borderline golf, yeah. borderline PGA Tour golfer. Wait a minute. You think Tony Romo is more athletic? Was more athletic than I think it's Dak a close call. I, I don't when think Dak Prescott's healthy, obviously. Well, well, but, 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 I honestly. Yeah. I mean, you're using. Wait, time out. You're also using golf. As an example of athleticism, golf and I one of my favorite golfers of all time is John. When Daly, you are so a quarterback, golf. eye hand coordination <laughs> and this and quick decision making are, are huge. And with golf, it's muscle memory. You have but to be able to do the same. Right. It's yes. coordination and hand eye coordination, yeah. which is gigantic. So as the quarterback position, I think that's a big thing. And golf and, is from the neck up too. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's it's your head. It may, and, and and there are there are some tremendous athletes that couldn't golf at all, and there's some great golfers that weren't were nothing good, but but. Golf Golfers, but I still think it yeah. bodes to Tony Romo is able to play multi sports at a very very high level. So I do think he's very athletically gifted as well. I, I like I said when I throw Tony Romo or Dak Prescott up in the air, I'm not going to be. If you tell me that Dak Prescott's hurt today and Tony Romo's your guy and they're both at their at their peak of their career, I'm not that disappointed. It's not like well we're losing a lot losing Dak and we're bringing in Tony at his prime. I don't think yeah. you lose that much. My point is it's a similar guy and neither one of them is going to take the. Dak Dallas Cowboys to the Super Bowl unless their defense gets really, really good. And they get Ezekiel Elliott in his prime. I mean, Pollard might be okay, but you never know how somebody's going to come back from a knee injury in the National Football League. Anything can happen. So, you know... I, I, I don't I, I understand the hype of the Dallas Cowboys because yeah. again from a monetary standpoint and from a marketing standpoint, they have done as good as anybody in the National Football League, which is why that star is so famous internationally. The same reason the Yankees logo is famous internationally. It's been marketed really well and some of the best players in history have played on those teams. And and with the Dallas Cowboys, it has been years. But that Dallas Cowboy team that won three Super Bowls not too long ago, they were pretty flipping good. And, uh, and and I mean, when you look at them from top to bottom, you've got about 12 Hall of Famers overall that at one point or another played for that Dallas Cowboy team. Yeah. That's almost unprecedented in NFL history. So I'm going to take a level-headed approach here when it comes to those rankings in the NFC. And I'm going to say this, and I make Nick Nice 
and other Niners fans very happy. I think there's two really good teams that can win the Super Bowl in the NFC. And then I think there's there's teams like Dallas. They played in the Detroit, NFC Championship Detroit, game last year. And maybe Minnesota and a couple a couple others that, that can be in the mix, maybe throw a monkey wrench in the situation. But to me, it's Philadelphia and San Francisco. And then it's kind of like everybody else is in the mix. And some wacky stuff could happen come playoff time where, you know, a Detroit knocks One off thing. a Dallas in the playoffs or knocks off uh, maybe a Philadelphia in the playoffs. But to me, I mean, you're looking at the rankings. I'm thinking it's it's definitely the city of brotherly love and, and the city by the bay are the two teams in the Niners and the Eagles that are, that are really, really formidable and could, and could end up ra- uh, raising up the Lombardi Trophy come February. Statistically, defensively, the San Francisco 49ers were the best team in the National Football last year. They've won so many different categories. There's a big problem in San Francisco right now. They need to get Joey Bosa's name on some ink in a hurry. Yeah. The guy led the National Football League with 18 and a half sacks last year and is one of the most predominant edge rushers in the game. They need to get him signed. That defense, without that anchor, they're still really good. I mean, oh my God, Fred Warner is an absolute beast in the middle. I don't know that I like a middle linebacker better than him in the National Football League. Joey Bosa, as good as it gets on the edge, they got to get him signed. And again, the good news for San Francisco, for Nick Nyson and my friends out there that are San Francisco fans, yeah. Brock Purdy looks healthy. And as much as I, st- I think Trey Lance is an athlete, the bottom line is when you've been in the National Football League three years and you still can't consistently throw a spiral at the quarterback position, that is a problem. How does he not throw a perfect spiral every time when you're drafted that high? I worry about Trey Lance. I like I, I like his demeanor and everything. I know we got to take a break. I hear the music, yeah. but I like Trey Lance's demeanor. Mm-hmm. But I think the San Francisco 49ers, all their fans, everybody wants Brock Purdy under center when the season starts. It's not a lock who that signal caller is going to be in San Francisco yet, my friend. It's going to be a battle throughout training camp and in the preseason. We are the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live from the Superbook at the Westgate. Chris Wynn, Brian Feldman in for T.C. Martin. Mike Dixon's going to join us in hour number two. He's been covering Raiders training camp. We're going to dive into some of the some of the hot topics when it's when it's all when it's said and done when it comes to all things silver and black and much much more in hour number two as we continue live from Las Vegas on your Friday on KSHP AM 1400 107.1 FM and streaming live on the nationwide app that is the T.C. Martin Show as well as KSHP. We'll come back right after this. Smith will keep it. He dies for the end zone. He's got a touchdown. Kansas City in one of the greatest comebacks in Chiefs Kingdom history. It's time. The entertainment capital of the world. Car out of the shotgun. Looks left. Throws a lob for Michael Crabtree. Caught it. He caught it. He caught it. The Raiders have the lead. 35-34. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Sweet revenge for Michael Crabtree. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. T.C. Martin. The doctor is now in. TC Martin Show coming away live for the Westgate Sportsbook on a Friday, rolling into the weekend. 
here in the Sin City. Chris Wynn, Brian Feldman in for the Dr. T.C. Martin, who is on the East Coast getting set for a big-time tilt as the Las Vegas Aces get set to take on the New York Liberty for a Sunday afternoon tilt. Liberty, Liberty. The New York Liberty. Sabrina Inescu. Brianna Stewart and company looking to take out the Aces, trying to give them, hand them their third loss of the season. Those no, two, I'm those not two trying to pop up the livery a little bit here. Those yeah. two ladies, if anybody could play together, those are two good ladies yeah. to be able to play against the Aces. Quality matchup in the WNBA coming up this weekend. You've got Team USA in town from the hardcore standpoint as well, too. They'll be playing Puerto Rico on Monday at T-Mobile Arena. So a lot of hoops going on this weekend. But you know what else is going on? Baseball, Major League Baseball, football, full all swing. That. You got football just kicked off last night yeah. with the Hall of Fame game in Ohio. By the way, how strange was that with the Hall of Fame? They, they've had some issues, I guess, with that stadium the last few years. Some 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 things jumping out. At, the, the power went out in the I stadium. I would be unhappy if I played high school game? football on that stadium. Like if yeah. I was a high school player, I wouldn't be thrilled about playing there, other than the history of the stadium itself. But uh, yeah, I mean, come on, man, that, that, that that's that's kind of a little bit rinky to dink. We know what it's there for; it's to celebrate the players that get into the Hall of Fame each year, and you have the Hall of Fame right. game, and it's uh, somewhat legendary and historical. But uh, ugh, I wouldn't want to play in it. You had some people chirping on X. Now it's called X. Right? Used to be Twitter saying that uh, maybe it's time to maybe move the venue as far as the Hall of Fame game or maybe build a, a, a newer stadium there, you know, as far as, you know. Take, well, you've got Moeller High School down the road in Cincinnati. You could play it there. I mean, I think Moeller High School is almost like a professional stadium. Is it a big stadium. spot, though? Well, is it, can they Moeller High see a decent uh, amount of people? Or Chris, is it? Chris Spielman played there. I mean, yeah. some of the best players in the country have played out at Moeller. So, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't even know. I've never seen it. I'm just guessing that it would be better than the stadium that they played in Canton, for God's sakes. Yeah. They'd be better playing in the parking lot of the Hall of Fame, I think. So the Browns and Jets went at it last night. Browns get the win. Doesn't really matter. Kind of a cool local note, guys, obviously, with uh, DTR. Dorian Thompson-Robinson throws a touchdown pass in his NFL debut, I guess we'll call it, even though it's preseason. And so kind of cool to see a Vegas kid out there, a guy from Bishop Gorman High School, a guy who played at UCLA, get a chance to play and uh, wear the uh, Cleveland Browns colors and get out there. So that was, I'm sure it was a great moment for his family and uh, a lot of his former teammates, here, high school teammates here in Vegas, and Vegas, period, to see a, a kid out there doing that. So that was cool, getting a chance to see the Jets out there, even though Aaron Rodgers didn't play. But it's just a signal, right, gentlemen, that the NFL is back, training camps are in full swing, and you'll have a full slate of preseason action. Joining us right now on the T.C. Martin Show, he's the manager at Vegas Sports Today. Uh, he is the... Brian, let's be honest. He's the Where's Waldo of sports. I said it's Mike Dixon and Alan Snell. It doesn't matter. He's Right now, we don't have video, right? But he's sporting the All-Star Game 2023. He was present at the game up in Seattle a matter of a couple weeks ago of the uh, All-Star Game. But anytime there's a big-time sporting event going down, boxing here in Vegas, MMA events, obviously anything, UNLV, Golden Knights, Raiders, Aces. Mike Dixon is only there. one flaw. Yes, he's a Miami Dolphins fan. Other than that, I mean, there's no other. The, the, he still he still believes that Tua Tagovailoa is the second coming, and and I, I've been trying to tell him for a couple of years that he's not. But he believes that Tua is going to get the Dolphins back to the promised land. I get it. He's upset because. Those Dolphins beat his same Detroit Lions last season. Not, not everybody beats my same Detroit Lions. <laughs> exactly. So 
So what's going on, Mike? Uh, you know, out at Raiders camp, like I said, if you haven't seen Mike, and I, I want to make sure to give to give Mike all the proper plugs you're looking here. Mike is the managing editor, um, a- expert at Vegas Sports Today. His Twitter, you can re- you can find Mike on Twitter at Mike Dixon underscore VST, which stands for Vegas Sports Today. And Instagram, you can find him at at, at Mike Dixon Sports. And uh, Mike, as as Chris just said, is you can find him all over Vegas. This guy is at every major event, whether it's in town or out of town. He covers, he's up there with boxing. I mean, along with the sports Nistra, Cassandra Cousineau, this guy's got his finger on the trigger of Las Vegas uh, boxing and MMA as much as anybody I know in town. And again, with the Raiders, he's at camp every day. Uh, if you haven't seen the, the, the site Vegas Sports Today, some great videos, some great pictures of Ra- Raiders camp. It really is a great site. If you want to get some pictures to steal, to, to, make, your, uh, to make your Facebook page to put him up as your profile picture. Go to Vegas Sports today. He's got some of the greatest, and like you said, Chris, he is the Where's Waldo of sports broadcasting. Him and Alan Snell. There is. I don't know an event. If if I go to the last, go back four years in Vegas. You know, they may not both be at all the events, but I'm never at an event that one of the two of them isn't at. I thought I was going to get away with it at the parade. I'm standing there on the thing at the Vegas Golden Knights Parade, and here comes Alan Snell. There's a tap on my shoulder. <laughs> I mean, you're not getting away from these two guys. They are the Where's Waldo of sports. Mike, about the Raiders right now, just jumping right into it, man. What is sticking out to you or standing out other than the fact Jimmy D was at camp from day one? Well, the defense, number one, for me, they had a, they had a very big day today. Um, they forced three interceptions, and I say they forced it because there was a lot of pass breakups, um, and they were competing and fighting for that ball. Um, and you could tell Jimmy was trying to take a few deep shots, throwing some deep posts. But when you see linebacker Robert Splain, you know he came up, he was fighting against the tight end. So you know, and that was the first interception on the day. And then the rookie that Dave Ziegler drafted, which is a uh, Jacorian Bennett, mm-hmm. another another Z guy, Isaiah Palamal. So that's that's one thing that really stood out to me today, as uh, far as uh, Kim went. Okay, so you take a look at this offense. Obviously, losing Darren Waller is kind of a big deal. You were talking about one of the best tight ends in football. Uh, he was one of the kind of de facto leaders of that team last year uh, and leading by example. Obviously, now you add Austin Hooper to the mix on this offense. We know what they bring to the table from a wide receiver standpoint when you're talking about Devontae Adams, even you know a Hunter Renfro as well, too, uh, who's someone who is, is kind of you know uh, kind of under the radar, right, from an NFL standpoint. But uh, talk to us about this kid, uh, Michael Mayer, out of Notre Dame, who they drafted. I mean, i got to believe they had big expectations for this, this talent in this offense with, with Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm. You're absolutely right, uh, Chris Wood, because he's obviously 6'4", big guy, 250. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I, when I look at him, you can just see him, man. He, he's very physical. Mm-hmm. You know, he's tall. He has some really good hands, and I mean some very soft hands, yeah. too. Uh, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo or, or the rookie, Aiden O'Connell, uh, just making those seam passes mm-hmm. right down to practice. And he's beating those linebackers inside, and he, he's shooting down those hash marks. And he, he gets his hands up just like he's Rob Gronkowski. That's why they call him Baby Gronk. But when I look at his footwork, man, he's he's very he's very fast coming off the line. Then you can just see how smooth and fluid he is once he's running his route. So, to me, like I said, I, I was high on uh, Michael Mayer yeah. uh, when he was drafted. Um, it, it's on the record, whether whether it's on Twitter or to, or to report out there, man. So, uh, I, I got a lot of a lot, a lot of a lot of high hopes for Michael Mayer. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Chris, to, to, oh, I'm, I'm off. Oh, so. Okay. 
Oh, there we go. So, so what I was going to say about the tight end position is obviously a lot of people thought, you know, they were grooming Foster Moreau to be the heir apparent to, uh, you know, Darren Waller. I mean, last year, Chris mentioned maybe by example, but he really had an off year. He was hurt. He didn't play well. The numbers weren't great. And Foster Moreau really showed he had the ability to play tight end at the professional level last year. I kind of got what all the hype was about the guy. Of course, he was able to command a little bit more money and get out of here and, 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 and bounce. O.J. Howard, when they picked him up, I thought, wow, we're going to have three solid tight ends now. Of course, they let him go last week. So now it's pretty much down to Austin Hooper and Michael Mayer. But Michael Mayer, as you said, I believe this guy could end up being an all-pro this year. I think he has that kind of talent, Chris. They talked about him at Notre Dame, and Notre Dame has put out some decent tight ends over the year. My good buddy Pete Kerplevich, and all, former uh, honorable mention All-American out of Notre Dame and Detroit Lion, but um, but I like him as well, Mike. Who else, you know, we, me and Chris talked earlier about the running back position and how devalued that is by professional teams based on what they pay these guys and based on the fact that the Colts can sit there and just wait out Wait out, um, you know. Wait out, Jonathan Taylor. The, uh, you know, you know. Obviously, you know, we're still waiting for Delvin Cook to get completely happy, but nobody's rushing to sign Delvin Cook. And Josh Jacobs, statistically the best running back in the National Football League last year, right now remains unsigned, refused to sign the con- the franchise tag. So every day, technically, they're finding him fifty grand a day, and that's that's going to add up over time. I don't know whether they're going to make that stick, but can all that to say, can Zaire, if needed? Can Zaire White step up and be a, a, a four-down back in the National Football League and replace Josh Jacobs? Because a lot of people fi- feel there's a great upside to this guy. I think everyone's nuts. I think, yeah, maybe running back isn't a position you want to bank everything on by how short-lived it is in the NFL. But still, Josh Jacobs and Zaire White, you're talking about a project and a prodigy. I mean, let's be realistic. Um, first, I, I want to say this. Josh Jacobs is irreplaceable. He accounted for 34% of that offense mm-hmm. um, for, for Josh McDaniels and the Raiders. Um, second, we, we know about um, Josh McDaniels and how he runs that New England system, and that's a running back by committee, right? Mm-hmm. But now you bring in Amir Abdullah, Zamir White, but who's your quarterback? Who's the best run blocker, pass protector? It's Josh Jacobs. And uh, to me personally, I, I still think he needs more time to develop. And that's that's Zamir White. So, you just said it though, and guys, I'm gonna stick to this. It's New England style. It's it's McDaniel's and it's Ziggler. It is no shock to me whatsoever that they think that there is a possibility it could be a Zamir White, you know, uh, uh, Amir Abdullah, Brandon Bolden, right? Who, by the way, former Patriot, and and even uh, the other B and B kid, the other the other kid who's like fourth on uh, fourth string. Brandon Bolden. Brand, yep. uh, Brandon Bolden. Uh, yep, uh, Brandon Bolden's. Uh, 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 Brandon Brown, uh, Britton, Britton Brown, Britton Brown, Brandon Bolden, Britton Brown, the BB, the BB boys. There, uh, there. I don't know if there is the emphasis to necessarily like. It is not like life or death. I think from Josh McDaniels and even Ziggler's standpoint with respect to you know getting Josh Jacobs in camp. They they probably think that they can that they'll be able to kind of to use the analogy weather the storm right with those guys. In that backfield. But another thing I want to talk to you about, too, is obviously Devontae Adams, right? We're talking about one of the best wide receivers in football. He's going from a transition now from a Derek Carr, his guy, a guy he played college with, you know, who's now in New Orleans with the Saints, and to Jimmy Garoppolo. 
Now there was mutterings, you know, and I'll use the I'll use loosely the term rumors going out that maybe 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 he was looking to get out of town. Maybe there there was even that you know that was that juicy chatter about him maybe going back to the going to the Jets and back playing with you know with Aaron Rodgers in New York. None of that's transpired. What has he been like in training camp? Has he been business as usual as far as uh, his preparation? Does he does it look like anything? Any of this stuff has phased him as far as the switch from Jimmy? You know, from from Derek Carr, what's kind of been uh, what has been your impression of uh, of him in training camp so far this year? First, I want to know. Um, I, I've been at a few practices. Yeah. I haven't been in. A, have I haven't been to the mall yet? Okay. But um, I'll tell you this: short to in, intermediate routes looks great. Yeah. Those deep balls, not so much. Uh, he he caught a couple uh, fade fade routes in the end zone, but it's practice. It's no pads. It's shorts. No corners. So you know he looks he looks good, but if you if you go back to last week, uh, Jimmy threw him a, a forty plus yard pass. Um, I actually put a tweet out with that with that video. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it took off because a lot of people just just as you just questioned, mm-hmm. they questioned Garoppolo's deep ball. Mm-hmm. But he has to stay healthy, man. And, yeah. and to me, it, it's the offensive line. You you can't make that deep pass if your your starters, your tackles, they they can't protect Jimmy. Well, you know, and, and again, it is Jimmy G. Jimmy G is a system quarterback. He really is. And and I think Jimmy G, and I've said this for a long time, would have a Super Bowl ring right now had Kyle Shanahan not gone away from the run against Kansas City. San Francisco, that entire game, that first, when they when they met in the Super Bowl, San Francisco was running the ball. They were ahead the majority of the game, having a great deal of success with that running game. Uh, you know, mixing it up, they had a couple of different backs. And then at the end, late in the game, Kyle Shanahan went away from the run, decided to put the ball in Jimmy G's hands. He threw an untimely late pick, and the rest is history. Jimmy G is a system guy. Josh McDaniel is familiar with Jimmy G and his style of play, and I think that should bode well. I mean, Josh Daniel McDaniel for sure is banking on that relationship, boding well and trans- transitioning onto success on the field. But Jimmy G, from what you're seeing, I know you said a little bit of trouble connecting on the deep ball. When when Devontae Adams isn't catching a deep ball, my guess is it's not because he's dropping the ball. It's because the ball isn't on target to the point that Devontae Adams can't get to the ball. Devontae Adams is a guy, if it hits his fingertips, he usually catches it, and that's what makes him one of the elite wide receivers in the National Football League. From Jimmy G, are you seeing at practice, and again, I know you haven't been to them all, Mike, but are you seeing them attempting a lot of deeper balls with Jimmy G? Because to me, yes, I would be working that, but I'd be working much more on his intermediate pass game knowing you are going to eventually have to offset that passing game with a running game. I don't care if Hunter Renfro is back and as good as he was two years ago. I don't care if Devontae Adams is one of the best wide receivers in the game. I don't care if Michael Mayer turns out to be the tight end everyone hopes he is. Jimmy G has to be able to distribute the football to him or all of that is meaningless. And in my opinion, number one, they don't have the greatest offensive line in the NFL. So Jimmy G is going to have to get productivity out of that that running game to make the passing game work. And right now, to me, that is the biggest concern in Raiders camp. And again, I don't want to hop harp on the Josh Jacobs thing. I'm not going to disagree with Mike Dixon. I think they'll eventually sign Josh Jacobs, hopefully before the, the beginning of the season. But if they don't, 
to me, this team will be lucky to win six games without him. And not just because the running back position is that important. It's because their defense is still suspect. They've improved the secondary. That's the most important thing. Their offensive line is still suspect. And the bottom line is Jimmy G has not proven to me ever that he can stay healthy and be ultimately productive through an entire NFL season and through the postseason. That's going to be the biggest problem. I, I, I want to add this. Uh, you hit on a lot of great notes, man. And uh, bring it back to what you said about uh, Kyle Shanahan and, and Jimmy G running that system. You can see uh, that Kyle Shanahan influence now at practice uh, with Josh McDaniels, how he's operating that offense. Um, I, I would say you see a lot of screen passes, man. Quick, short, get the ball out quick. You know, they, they, they don't want to, to go deep a lot. And to answer your question, I, I think they'll take maybe three or four deep shots a game. But they're, they're relying on that running game, man. They're, they're relying on those bubble screens, those slip screens, and Michael Mayer to, to be a, a security blanket right right down the middle. So that's that's all, that's all we see right now. And, yeah. and I also want to add, I also want to add that um, Jacoby Myers, another New yeah. England guy, yeah. um, at, at the presser uh, a couple days ago, Jacoby Myers said this, Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver, right? But every wide receiver inside this wide receiver group in this in the, in the film study they're all intelligent smart guys who, who can understand and know that system so they're going to spread that ball around managing editor at uh vegas sports today mike dixon joining us here live you can follow him on x and twitter at mike dixon underscore vst he's been covering raiders training camp as we get set for the silver and black season to get underway there your preseason is next week against Nick Nice's San Francisco 49ers, the first preseason game for the Raiders. So we talk a lot about the offense, obviously, and rightfully so, because they're in the AFC West, guys, right? And you're going up against the likes of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers and even the Denver Broncos in this division. But let's talk defense, Mike. All right, so obviously... It's anchored by the likes of Max Crosby, Pro Bowler. It's anchored by the likes of Chandler Jones. You love having Marcus Peters now on that back, the back line. You, you like Duke Shelley back there as well, too. It is a team that is going to be tested from a defensive standpoint. What has been kind of the camaraderie and the uh, mood of the defense and training camp and the kind of, uh, you know, has there been any standouts, I guess is the word I'll use, for guys on that defense, other than the four guys I mentioned that are probably going to be, you know, imperative for them. Um, second, second year starter Isaiah Palamau. Mm-hmm. Man, he's 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 had a great practice. Man, um, he's been showing up um, side by side with the uh, Roderick Teamer. Um, he's he's obviously a safety. Uh, Marcus Epps. Um, another standout for me is Marcus Peters. Yeah, he, he's been matching up with uh, Devontae Adams. You can tell he wasn't allowed to to break a lot of routes and, and get by him. Um, I, I've been paying close attention to um, the linebackers because they need help with the linebackers right now. And as we all know, uh, Darius Harris, he just recently signed um, with the Raiders. Uh, Dave Ziegler said he was doing his due diligence by bringing in these linebackers. So uh, to me right now, any standouts, I, I, I really wanted to watch Tyree Wilson, the first-round draft pick, but non-football injury-related. So... Um, like I said, I, Isaiah, Isaiah Palomao, he, he's been looking good. And Jacorian Bennett, 
Corian Biddick, cornerback, rookie. Uh, to me, defensively, the biggest letdown last season, and you can argue with me all you want, was Chandler Jones. So much more was expected out of him to offset and, and, and to force them to start leaving uh, Max Crosby single, co- single, single, you know, sing, handed singly last year where he wasn't. They were still able to force people over because Chandler Jones became manageable. He's got to become unmanageable again. The loss of Denzel Perryman, to me, is the biggest thing on this defense. Denzel Perryman, when he came over from Carolina a couple years ago, I love that move. I said, man, this guy is right on the verge of really breaking out. He came to the Raiders, and even though their defense wasn't great, Denzel Perryman was great. At times, he was spectacular. That is a huge loss for this team. And to me, the second line of defense, as Mike just talked about, is the key. And the key is going to be the veteran leadership back there. Nate Hobbs, unfortunately, not a longtime veteran, but he is the man that they are going to expect to be the best defensive back on this team. And Marcus Peterson, they're looking, Marcus Peters, excuse me, they are looking to him to come in and really give these young defensive backs some confidence because that's what he can do. His veteran prowess, and he's always been a vocal leader where he's been, that I think is going to help the Raiders. But again, Nate Hobbs is going to have to this year step up and be a great defensive back to shore up that secondary because they are going to hurt in the middle. The linebacker, we can talk and sugarcoat it all we want. It is very porous at the linebacker position. And when you are poor in the middle, that is a huge, huge problem. Mike, finally, the most important thing, obviously, and not, the, the, the part that doesn't get on the field is Josh McDaniel, a guy that is very mixed emotions when you talk to people in Vegas, sports fans, uh, even teams around the National Football League, very mixed on him. He has not had success as a head coach in the National Football League to this point, yet he got the coach under the greatest coach of all time in Bill Belichick. People have heard me say this many times in New England. When you are a coordinator in New England, here's what happens. You get to work and Bill Belichick's waiting there for you and he says, listen, run up to the store and get me a newspaper. I'm working on the offense or I'm working on the defense. You get back from the store, he says, listen, my slippers are in my office. Can you go grab my slippers? You get his slippers. Five minutes later, he's like, look, man, I'm dying of thirst. Can you run up and get me a coffee and a water at the store? By the the time you get back from all that, he says, listen, here's the defense. This is what we're going to run this week. Do not deviate from this whatsoever unless you come and talk to me first. Bill Belichick always has been the defensive coordinator of the New England Patriots, and it has literally been a... a, a uh, what do you want to call it? It's kind of just been a title that you've had. We saw that in Matt Patricia when he came to Detroit when I kept telling people. Matt Patricia left something very important in New England when he arrived in Detroit. The thing that he left is called Bill Belichick. Without him, he will have no success in Detroit, which he had none. Can Josh McDaniel be successful on his own without Bill Belichick there for him? From what I saw last year, I'm going to be straight up with you. I, it, it's unfair to quote to quote to question him in one year when they weren't his pieces in place. But there were times in press conferences, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris Wynn and Mike Dave, um, Mike Dixon, correct me if I'm wrong, he looked like a deer in headlights at times standing in the press conference, not knowing what to say, not knowing how to answer for the blunders he made coaching-wise on the field at times, and we all saw that. Is Josh McDaniels the long-term answer for this team to get back to prominence and get back to what they're looking for most here in Las Vegas? and that is a Super Bowl by these Las Vegas Raiders. Is he the guy to take them there? First, I'll start off by saying this. I'll answer your question, no. But 
But I'll, I'll, I'll go with Mark, what Mark Davis said. I'll, he needs three years. Mm-hmm. He needs three years. Give him time to develop that offense, make that defense better. And after these three years play out, cut ties. I, and by the way, while I was gone in Seattle for six, seven months, I missed the Las Vegas Aces championship, right? Mark Davis did a good job by selecting Becky Hammond. Is he that caliber? I know it's a different sport, different team. I get that. But he's not the guy. He's simply not the guy. And what, what Mike Orban told me at the Spence Crawford fight, he's like, the offense good, defense it's terrible. They, 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 they rank 27th. They rank 27th. They rank 27th in defense, and they couldn't stop a, a, a nosebleed, man, 122 yards. That, that's how many games, how many yards they allowed each game. Uh, 250-yard passing. Just, you got to tighten up your defense because the offense can put up some points. But go ahead, Chris. Here's the deal, guys. All right? Vegas agrees with you because you take a look at the Raiders' schedule. And look, I'm not a guy who likes to play the schedule game and break down wins and losses because we know it's the NFL. It's a, it's a parlay killer, gentlemen, when it comes to the NFL because there's always one team or two or three every week that lose to somebody they're not supposed to lose to. That being said, when I say that Vegas knows all, first eight games of the season, gentlemen, Running the back. Las Vegas Raiders are underdogs. In every game. Now, look, they're shorter dogs in a lot of these games, one-point dogs against teams like the Steelers and even later on down the line. But uh, and one-point one point dogs to the Patriots here in that game, one-point dog here in Allegiant Stadium against the Green Bay Packers and also against the Steelers, one-point one point favorite or one-point dogs. The point being, though, is that they could possibly be – somewhere in the neighborhood of like a 2-6 and six team in the first eight games of the season. Mm-hmm. That's not good. And it's definitely not good for Josh McDaniels. And that would mean that they would have to you know, go on a run in the second half of the season, essentially, to even be in the picture at all for the playoffs. And that doesn't seem likely. Now, I'm not trying to be all gloom and doom for all Raider Nation out there. Because, yes, they, I mean, things could fall into place, right? Everything could click for them, and they could end up being a surprise team in the AFC and in the AFC West. But right now, Las Vegas and you, you two gentlemen and a lot of people that know a lot about the NFL have the same expectations that you guys do when it comes to Las Vegas Raiders. Eight point, right? I'm sorry, eight games? Yes. Man, Vegas knows what they're talking about. There's a lot of insiders in here. Seawin, Brian Feldman. No, no, seriously. Sportsbook here at the Westbrook. Everyone's tapped in. So if, if you review that schedule and, and you see the uphill battles that he has to face, plus one against Kenny Pickett, second-year quarterback Steelers, that's, that's, that's terrible. Yeah, listen, we are overdue for a break. He is Mike Dixon joining us today, fresh from Raiders camp today. Also, uh, Chris Wynn, I'm Brian Feldman. This is the T.C. Martin, so we are pinch hitting for the doctor, T.C. Martin, who will be back in studio on Monday. And, uh, oh, oh, I'm. Yeah, so Mike, uh, give us uh, your info, your socials. Where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I'm really active at. It's uh, Mike Dixon underscore VST, which is short for Vegas Sports Today. Um, you can also see our photos at uh, Instagram on Vegas Sports Today, which is 
Bacon Sports today. Very simple. And if you want to see, shout out to Louis Gross, one of our amazing photographers, uh, Kenny King. He also hosts the Kenny King Cow Pass and uh, the Raider Way, where we create a lot of content. And thank you to C. Win, Brian Feldman, T.C. Martin, and the Westgate for having me. I can't wait to see you all at practice next week. Mike Dixon, thanks for... Waldo Dixon, he's, he's floating around. Hey, thanks for stopping by, sitting down for us for a few minutes. And uh, keep yourself cool, my friend, rolling out there to training camp because uh, it's, it's Vegas. It's August, and it gets steamy, brother. Thank you. It's the T.C. Martin Show coming away live on a Friday. Chris Wynn, Brian Feldman kicking things off for the weekend here at the Westgate Superbook as uh, it is a pretty pretty frenzy-esque down here with the poker tournament going on and all the sports action as well, too. We'll come back, uh, polish things off on a Friday. It's the T.C. Martin Show coming away live. KSHP AM 1400, 107.1 FM, and streaming live at the TCMartinShow.com. Hey, this is Tyson Fury, a.k.a. the Gypsy King, and I'm here today ripping it up with T.C. Martin. California T.C. Martin Show coming away live from the Superbook at the Westgate. Chris Wynn, Brian Feldman in for T.C. Martin on your Friday, getting you set for the weekend. As there is uh, it's always sports action on the weekend, folks, in hyperdrive. As uh, the NFL preseason kicked off last night in Canton, Ohio. So we'll get set for more preseason games coming up this week later on. You've got Major League Baseball action a full swing. The trade deadline going down, so some teams getting better. Some teams are sellers and understand that they are pretty much out of the mix. But uh, definitely some interesting names changing places. Some new faces and new places, Brian Felbit, in Major League Baseball that are making teams very viable to win a World Series without question. But uh, big-time news in college football coming down. From Pete Thamel from ESPN reporting, Oregon and Washington finalized the deal to join the Big Ten beginning in the 2024-2025 season today. A move that continues to dwindle down the Pac-12 and puts the conference's future in the crosshairs. The schools formally applied for membership Friday and were accepted after a Big Ten vote later on today. So a conference in the Big Ten that is adding USC and UCLA to the mix and already has added relatively new members in Maryland and Rutgers to the mix from the East Coast now adds two more teams, not just from the West Coast, but also from the Pac-12 Brian, this is absolutely going to shake things up even more with respect to conference realignment in the country. And it really puts a question mark on what exactly the makeup is going to be in college football from a conference standpoint with this deal going down. Well, Chris, we're seeing problems. The Pac-12 is on life support right now, and we're going to see that conference go away. They're going to, I imagine they'll try to pilfer, I've heard from the Mountain West, but the Mountain West has some some foolproof plans, and they're not to move to the to the Pac-12. And, and when you look at it, also the ACC, there are teams that are just not happy. You know, the Mountain West, as you mentioned, now getting Oregon and Washington, and that is enormous, Chris, to add to UCLA, 
USC. You're talking about Arizona's almost a done deal going to the Big 12. And you look over just yesterday, uh, you know, you've got Florida State just about done with the ACC. Miami has complained about the ACC before. And Clemson, I'll tell you what, Florida leaves the ACC. Clemson's not going to be far behind them. And the Big Two, you talk about the Big Ten, they are also, Chris, right now courting both Virginia and North Carolina. So the ACC and the Pac-12 are just getting cherry-picked like there's no tomorrow. I think what we're going to see when realignment is all done, when the dust completely settles, we are going to see three super conferences. And I think that's what we are getting down to, stemming from the FCC, who is as healthy as can be. And part of Florida State's problem is they look down the road in Gainesville and they see Florida bringing in about $30 million more in revenue a year by playing in the SEC. So the SEC is going nowhere. We know the Big Ten's going nowhere, and the Big 12 is beefing up. I think those three become your super conferences, and I think down the road, when you see uh, the, the realignment, they're talking about eventually nine teams in the collegiate football playoffs. You're going to see three t- required from the, the super conferences. We'll get like three each, and then you'll have like cherry picking for another two seeds or something once they completely realign the playoffs. But I don't think there's any way around this, Chris. The Pac-12 is being is everyone's being and that's it. You know, you you see them all the way down from Colorado, Arizona State, um, Washington State, and Oregon State now are even like, well, where are we going to go? The Pac-12 is going away in two years. It will be completely defunct, I believe. And I don't think the ACC is too far behind when it comes to football. Colorado was in the Big 8, then they were in the Big 12, then they went to the Pac-12. And it never seemed right, to be honest with you, to see Colorado in the Pac-12. And now they're back to the Big 12. Uh, you talked about the ACC. ACC, I absolutely think, is going to be going the way of the Pac-12, in which they are going to start getting their pockets picked. We, there's already been discussions about North Carolina as well as Virginia possibly going to the Big Ten. Um, and, of course, you brought up what's taking place with Florida State, uh, kind of kind of some crybaby stuff going on with Florida State, You know, in my opinion, a little bit there with respect to the ACC. But, but understandable given the financial, you pointed out the financial situation regarding them and their, their in-state rival in, in the Florida Gators and, and what they get in the SEC. But uh, no question about it, it looks like it's going to be the Big 12, the Big 10, and the SEC are going to be like the three power conferences. And then it's going to be kind of like a musical chairs type of deal, right? With, res- with respect to the teams trying to get into those conferences and then we're going to kind of see everybody else uh, be, not fall by the wayside, but just not be in that mix. Uh, Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti said in a statement uh, regarding the University of Oregon and Washington, saying we look forward to building long-lasting relationships with these universities, administrators and staff, student-athletes, coaches and fans. Both institutions feature a combination of academic and athletic excellence that will prove a great fit for our future. Now, I mean, the Big Ten is just all over the place now. There's no more. Brian, when you and I were coming up, the conferences mattered from a regional standpoint. Geographical, regional, you know, there was discussion. There's always been discussion about Notre Dame going to the Big Ten because Notre Dame is in Big Ten country and they play Big Ten teams all the time. They used to play a bunch of Big Ten teams all the time, you know, so that was always something that was thought. But it would have been outrageous, right? It would have been crazy to think that. I mean, that, it made sense that, when Penn State. That a team when Penn State like USC would end up in the Big Ten, Terrible. right? Or even even what happened with Rutgers and Maryland. I was kind of stunned. You know, Rutgers I got, I guess, because it was the tri-state area, right? New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. I mean, I guess I got that. 
Didn't really get the whole Maryland thing, but whatever. But, like, that, and this has just transpired in the last 10, 15, years. I didn't get years. the Nebraska thing, Chris. Like, well, I, I got it because it's, and look, Nebraska and Penn State, by Only, the way. Penn State, no, Penn State, Penn State I got. They because, weren't independent. But they're Midwest, it's Midwest, right. kind of. But Nebraska, I mean, but really. the problem is it's the Nebraska-Oklahoma rivalry yes. game in the Big 12. They took that away, and yeah. that was a monstrous rival for years no doubt. and years and no years. Doubt. And Nebraska-Colorado, too, Correct. was a big rivalry big as well. Rival. And, so, and, and, you know, and so, so that was but you, but you know what I'm saying as far as Nebraska? It's a Midwestern No, state. it is. It is. I mean, it's, but it's, it's been it's in the seen, Big 12. It feels like they should we be in the Big 12. We grew up with that in the Big right. 12. So that my yeah. point is that was what, you know, tradition. And, and to have teams like UCLA and USC. I mean, we grew up, that was your Rose Bowl opponent if you were a Michigan or Michigan State fan. You wanted exactly. to play USC or UCLA or maybe even Washington or Oregon, but this this just doesn't seem right anymore. Chris. And it's not just the Big Ten. We're talking about all these, con- like, like, for example, the Big 12, West Virginia in the Big Ten. West Virginia is is on the East Coast. It's not, it doesn't, I mean, I, I, look, I get it. It's a gritty you know, a gr- has a gritty, you know, reputation. Well, Chris, as we know they geographically yeah. they've thrown it all out the window. I mean, I get it. So that's my point, kind of, is that you know, it's it's all out the window now. Now it's all about the dollars. It's all about getting eyeballs from a television standpoint because you're bringing in, you know, you're bringing in the likes of of you know California schools like UCLA and USC. That to me was uh, was kind of uh, earth shattering to me. Is bringing those two schools into the Big Ten. Because that was and, the worst. And again, maybe we're being old head kind of, you know, we are, but get it was, off my lawn, guys. Chris, that, you're on the West Coast. Really, USC, two opposite and, USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. Nah. I mean, uh, you know, Oregon, Oregon more so than Washington. Washington's guy, I think, has more history than Oregon. Oregon's a lot of recent history, and in recent, I'm talking about the last 20 years. Or Oregon's so. this. Yeah. But, like, so, so I mean, I understand that to an extent, but, like, it's, it's just now. It's real. I guess I'll, I'll finish my comments on this by saying this. I'm stunned. I'm stunned. The lack of consideration regarding fan bases and regionalism and tradition when it comes to how this is all going down. Yeah. It seems like it's just kind of all falling apart within the last five, six years where it's all just kind of gone out the window, right, when it comes to having respect for Rivalries, having respect for tradition. You know, Saturday afternoons, right? Saturday, college football. You went to Michigan State. I did not go to Michigan State, but I grew up in Lansing, a Michigan State fan uh, in the Big Ten. I mean, there's just certain things you expect about college football, and it's kind of going all out the window now because of how this is all going down with conference realignment. And, I mean, I guess if you want to look at it from a glass half full positive perspective you could say oh yeah they're going to build new rivalries right by having all these teams changing conferences but that being said it still kind of feels like it's the end of an era in college football and things are just changing at a super hyper fast rate when it comes to college football. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I always like the playoff. I, you know, as much as I like the bowl games and the traditions, I loved when they finally, you know, they finally, uh, you know, put in a playoff system for them. And I think they're going to continue to expound on that and it'll be better. So I like that. But this super conference thing, does it add prominence to the Big Ten that you put UCLA and USC in? Well, of course. They are historical. You know, it's an incredible situation for, for the Big Ten to be able to do that. But for the Pac-12, 
what do they do now, Chris? Do they just go defunct? I mean, they almost have to. What are you going to pilfer from the Mountain West? I mean, the only team even desirable now that San Diego State's gone is Boise State. Otherwise, who the hell do they want? Utah State? I mean, I mean, I mean, who do you want if you're in the Mountain West now? You know, if, if you're the Pac-12, who do you want? Gonzaga? You're going to try to go talk to Gonzaga to come into the Pac-12? I mean, who's out there? No, Gonzaga has no football No, program. you're not going to bring but, Gonzaga to the Pac-12 because they don't have a football program. Right, that's so, the problem. Football, it's all about, look, we get basketball programs are important. Right. But, but it's football, all about football. Fresno State, I guess, is so, decent. So to your point, though, to your question about the Reno, Pac-12, you're going to have to go to the you're going to have to go to the Mountain West. You're going to have to go to the WAC. You're going to have to go to the Big Sky. Some of these places that have football, and make the case. Look, I don't have all the answers when it comes to the Pac-12. I think it's it's basically uh, on. You used the perfect phrase to start this segment off. It's on life support. It is a conference that is on life support. And they're going to end up going by the wayside, much like the ACC. Yep. If things keep transpiring like they do, Let, let's run it down. The ACC's always okay. been a basketball conference, so so we right. understand that. I mean, yes, they're you know with Clemson recently, obviously it's turned in North Carolina at times has had them South Carolina, but well, that's an SEC team. But but the but, point the point is, Chris is yeah. is. The ACC is not as big of a surprise or a shocker as the the, the, Pac, the Pac-12, even though the ACC with Clemson has had success with Florida State. Still, the Pac-12, man, it's almost sacrilegious to get rid of the Pac-12. It just feels that way as a traditionalist. Well, here's the thing, though: the ACC teams that are going to be on the uh, on the uh, on the fence. So, I mean, look, Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State, schools like that that have Virginia. viable football programs. And basketball program, they're going to get picked up by one of the three big conferences, right? It's it's the teams like the Wake Forests, right, or you know teams like that that are in the ACC. Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech, they have to sweat a little bit. But let's run the numbers down, Brian. So the Big Ten will be the first major conference to push to 18 teams uh, coming up. Uh, the SEC is going to make its debut as a 16-team conference in 2024 when they add Texas. Super Oklahoma, conferences, right? Chris. Yeah. And that's the same year that the Big Ten is going to roll out their West Coast editions. Yep. Uh, the Big 12 is officially up to 13 now. And that number could rise soon as well, too. So, look, when it comes to Are you adding keep, uh, This is just a, a, a stupid question, yeah. but you keep the Big Ten call. I mean, the Big Ten, they were, they were originally the Pac-10. They changed it to the Pac-12. Why are they sticking with You can't go to a, the Big 18? I mean, what do you do? The rationale would be, and this is right off the top of my head, I, I would say just because of tradition. And it's, but they, it's a the name. Pac-10, it's a name. It's the a Pac-10? Name. It, doesn't, it hasn't been the Pac-10. There hasn't been 10 teams in the Big Ten for a while. I know. You know so I know. It's just the name. So I, I think that, that that'll be the rationale to keep the name. Uh, and that's why I'll I think they change it. That's why they change it. Probably they could. They could change it. I guess, but that's all new branding. You know, that's a, it's a whole new can of worms you're opening up there. Uh, SEC obviously you don't have to change it because that's that's the SEC is essentially like the NFL in the in the in the in the South in the Southeast. So well, they can't be the I mean, Midwest fine. Conference because that would be MWC. Yeah, it would be just like the Mountain West Conference. Exactly, so. and it's not. And and now you know, you know most a lot of the teams in the conference aren't even anywhere near yeah, the you Midwest. Can't, yeah, you can't so, call it a geographic conference anymore. Yeah, it's, I mean it's crazy. It really is. The realignment, Chris, is. Uh, I think it's something that is necessary. There are certain schools that do need to change conferences. I think San Diego State has deserved to get out of the Mountain West for a while based on their play both fo- on the football field and basketball. They're, they're successful in both sports, so they've deserved to get out of the conference. But again, as far as the rest of the Mountain West teams, other than maybe Boise State in a, in a football sense because they have gotten to a college playoff, 
who else do you do? Who, who do you Let put me in make the a case. Let me Fresno make a case. State? I'm going to do it right now. Okay. I'm going to do it right now. Right. Where are we? We're in Las Vegas, right? And this is the TC Martin Show coming away live from the Superbook at the Westgate. UNLV is a viable team, man. I'm telling you, a viable program to go into the Pac-12. It is a major market now from a market size standpoint. Las Vegas, 2 million people plus. It's, it's, it's a large if market. If your Pac-12 takes the UNLV. The program is a name program. Yes, they haven't had success in decades, but the point being is it is still a name program. And the football program plays at Allegiant Stadium, and it, it, it is a football program. I think that is on the rise. So I'm going, I'm making the case, Brian Feldman. I'm saying, yes, I think you, you know, UNLV should be one of those teams talked about from the Mountain West well, that could go only into the Pac-12. Because the point, though, is, but but now we're talking about a Pac-12 that's not the Pac-12 anymore. Right. And that would so, be the only reason I would you know say I mean? that UNLV so, should be considered. Because yeah. if I'm talking about UNLV based on the, the past two decades mm-hmm. of, of football and basketball getting to go and play in the Pac-12, even a watered-down Pac-12, I'm saying they'd be required to bring their own little poo-poo bags. <laughs> they'd have to clean up after themselves to go to the Pac-12. They are not ready for the Pac-12 or any any other conference. Matter of fact, in my opinion, they're hanging on to the Mountain West Conference for dear life because of the lack of success they have had at both sports. Barry Odom is breathing a fresh, a breath of fresh air, in yes. my opinion, into UNLV football. I am really excited to see the product he's putting on the field. And in Kevin Kruger's defense, this is the best recruiting year I have seen in probably 10 years with the prospects coming into UNLV through the portal. I am excited about it, but I'll tell you what. Kevin Kruger, and I asked this question to Brian yesterday, I know we're just jumping all over the place here, Not but really. we're having fun. I asked a question to Brian yesterday about Kevin Kruger. Mm-hmm. Is Kevin Kruger on the hot seat right now, or does Absolutely. he get another year? Absolutely, 100%. The good news, though, for Kevin Kruger is this. You talked about the prospects they brought in. I'll bring up one prospect, and he's the guy. It's DJ Thomas. Yeah. The fact that you got in a guy this that, was, play that, was, that could have played anywhere. Could have played at Kentucky. Could have played at Duke. Could have played Agreed. at any major program around the country. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to stay home. Now, look, it is important that Kevin had a relationship with DJ and his family. And that, that was important. And and that's a big part of recruiting, right? As coaches having relationships with, with players and families. It's a big deal. But you could argue he is the most important recruit that this team has had, that this program has gotten in running Rebel Basketball in a good seven, eight years since, you know, the Anthony Bennett's and the, you know, the Zimmerman's and, the, and guys like Pat that. McCall's. Pat Patrick McCall, uh, Brandon McCoy, right? Uh, and you could argue that he's more important than those guys because D.J. Thomas has a real well, future to play in the NBA. Yeah, like he I, has I a, would, he can I would play at the highest that. level. I would agree with that. And he decided to stay here. It is an opportunity for UNLV from a basketball standpoint to transition. Chris, here's, to, the, to bo- here's the bottom line. Yeah. UNLV needs to finish no lower, especially with the departure of San Diego State this season, mm-hmm. no lower than third in the Mountain West Conference, and they have got to go to the NIT and maybe even win a game in the NIT, yeah. get a home game here, and maybe even win a game for Kevin Kruger to maintain employment next year. That is how. That is where I think the program is at. Because here's the deal. 
Eric Harper, to me, is the best athletic director this school has seen in a while. I like him. He is no nonsense, and he seems dedicated to get turned the program. Plus, he's a UNLV guy, and and so I like that. But the bottom line is, I don't think he's any nonsense. He likes Kevin Kruger, but Kevin Kruger was not his decision. It was the exit decision of Desiree Reed Francois, who could have given two craps about this university and completely used it as a stepping stone from day one, just like T.J. Otzelberger. Okay. So the bottom line is, is he has needs to succeed this year because I think Eric Harper, the rope is going to be very, very short for Kevin Kruger, and I hope he does. The cool thing is, like you said, Chris, they've got one player that probably is going to eventually play in the NBA, yeah. and a couple of other players that yeah. could play at the Power Five conference schools. This year, they have to come through. And I don't want to dismiss the other talent that 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 Kevin and his staff have brought in. They've they've got some transfers in that are going to be very instrumental for this team as well, too. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility. You talked about the expectations, right? About the NIT, about making you know making making an impact in the Mountain West tournament, right? The conference championships. Uh, it is not it is not outrageous to say that this team could win the Mountain West or that they could win the Mountain West tournament. In which case, obviously, they'd be an NCAA tournament team, which is which is the goal which should be the goal every year, to be quite honest with you, when it comes to all things UNLV basketball. But uh, make no mistake about it, there, this, is a, it's, this is a program, and I'm t- now we're talking both football and basketball, that's in transition. It is. Barry Odom, now the new head coach. It's been a football program that's kind of, you know, uh, played musical chairs with head coaches as of late and haven't really found the, the right formula hasn't really been the guy that's been been able to grab the reins and, and and elevate the football program to where it should be. We'll see if Barry Odom is that guy. He has a pedigree, right? He has coached at the highest levels in college football. And so there is a certain amount of expectation that comes with that when you've been able to coach at that level. And now you're I will say this. I believe now you're the head man at a program trying to build itself. I believe Barry Odom, and again, this is going so far in limb, but I believe in the time since I have been covering UNLV football, which dates back to 2012, he is the best coach, I believe, that I've seen at UNLV to that point. He coached a big program like Missouri, and this guy, I loved what he said at that luncheon, Chris. Listen, I'm not here telling you guys I'm going to rebuild. The bottom line is if we don't win, I'm going to lose my job. I'm here to find a way to make this team win. I love that answer. Because that's the truth. I think Barry Odom gets three seasons, Chris. All right, Brian, I'm putting you on the spot here as we roll down towards the end of the show. They're going to handle their business against the likes of Bryant University in the opener. I mean, come on now. It's Bryant University. No disrespect. I know a lot about that school. It's right down the road from 49 to 3. 49 to 3 is your next question. They're going to blast the Bulldogs. 49 to 3. But then, 49 to 3. Brian does it happen? Week two, they head to Ann Arbor. And the big house to take on Michigan. 49-3. to And Jim Harbaugh is not going to be on the sidelines. 49 He's suspended. to three. Could it happen, my friend? Could it be could it be Appalachian State all over again? I, I it's a good could one. Could it bring go up. down? I'm gonna tell you again. I am going to tell you I am going to tell you again. Rebels. University of Michigan forty nine. <laughs> UNLV Rebels 3. That's my prediction for the big house. Their first trip to the big house. Uh, last year they got to go to the horseshoe, which was pretty yes. cool for them. Mm-hmm. And this year they get to, or last year they went to Notre Dame. Two years ago they went to the horseshoe, and this year they go. So, uh, hey, if you have been, if you were a freshman at, at, at UNLV a couple years ago, you've gotten to play at Ohio State at Notre Dame, and this year at Michigan, all three are going to be ugly losses. They played decently at Ohio State for a minute. They played decently at, UN, at, uh, at uh, Notre Dame for a minute when Notre Dame probably played their worst game 
game of the season. I think even without Jim Harbaugh, and maybe the motivation of not having Jim Harbaugh, I am in fear for the UNLV team. I'm in fear for the players. I'm even worried that a couple of coaches might get hurt in that game. UNL, U, University of Michigan is a potential playoff team again this year. And UNLV, the only way they see the playoffs is if somehow somebody puts a bunch of money in charity and they pay for all the players to go out there. Otherwise, UNLV is getting nowhere close to anything like that. Chris, I think that UNLV, we will see improvement. I like Barry Odom a lot. Maybe part of it's a homer, but I still do not see them making a bowl game this year. I think the schedule is going to be brutal and much more difficult than they think. Okay, so no Week 2 shocker when it comes to UNLV versus Michigan, but they'll circle the wagons and they'll get set for Week 3 in that tilt going on. Brian Feldman, it's been a joy hosting with you, my friend, on a Friday. Tell us where we can find you throughout the week on the airwaves, my friend. Well, this week is the one week I won't be there. Fox Sports Studios are putting, making some changes and putting in a new board, yeah. so I'll be off this week. But other than this week, you can always hear me Sunday mornings, 8 to 9 o'clock, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Gold Knights, and Fridays, not tonight, but normally I'm here on KSHP Friday nights from 6 to 7 with Rent It, Buy It, Refi It, a real estate mortgage show, keeping you up to date on the housing market in the Las Vegas. And that's it, Chris. That's Brian Feldman. I'm Chris Wynn. Thanks, everybody, for listening on a Friday live from the Westgate Sportsbook. Have a great weekend, everyone. Myself, Marco D'Angelo, back hosting on Monday. It's the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live on KSHP AM 1400, 107.1 FM, and streaming live at the tcmartinshow.com. Have a great Friday, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon.